Welcome to Better Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about Go Tell It on the Mountain, which is James Baldwin's 1953 novel about a 14-year-old boy and his family in Harlem in 1935. So Katie, why Go Tell It on the Mountain? Well, uh, it turns out I had never read Go Tell It on the Mountain. <gasps> really? So, yeah. this is, <laughs> me, yes. me neither. So. I'm jealous okay. that you got yeah, to I, read this for the first time. I'm jealous of past me because uh, this book is so good. It's really, really, really good. I really loved it. I, I just want to dork out over it for several hours. Um, so part of that we can do here. And then part of that probably will be later text <laughs> messages to you two. Um, <laughs> It is a top-notch conversion narrative. It's like mm-hmm. this; these like you know goes through all these like formal steps of uh, of of getting to somebody's awakening or or salvation or something. And Baldwin also just as a writer is a fucking genius. So that helps too in in terms of why one would want to read this. I was trying it, to it convince all- you for like years that you would love this so much because it's, <laughs> I mean, for lots of reasons, but also like the religious content of this is like a hundred percent your, your bag. Oh, it's so, I, I mean, you know, thank you for, for leading me to the promised land now. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I'm just sort of glad that I, that I got here. The, one of the reasons that I love this is because it, perfectly describes why people get horny over religion because it's like Mm -hmm. exciting and Mm -hmm. it's these cosmic stakes and everything and it's like it's not the the partying with buddy christ at the end that's the point it's like all this like this agony and ecstasy to get there and and not only that but black pentecostalism itself is like a whole other thing that we could talk about for nine and a half hours so 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 that really kicked off with the Azusa Street Revival, which is like super famous thing that happened in L.A. from like 1906 to like the early 1910s. And it was not only important, it, like this seminal moment in in black religion, African-American religion, but it's like the beginning of Pentecostalism, period. Um, oh, wow. hmm. Yeah. A- and so it's. Actually, like sort of hard to overstate how important that that revival was, and then it like helps us think about the entire history of revival in America. But I'll say just briefly that it it was this revival that went on for several years. It was led by this uh, preacher William Seymour, who was the son of former slaves. It was this interracial movement and that was one of the super important things about it so just fucking everyone showed up for this huge multi-year revival like they would just show up in front of this house Hmm. and it got like a buttload of uh newspaper coverage and stuff um and anyways i'm thinking about this in that context because i knew that we were going to be reading about pentecostalism and then the way it turns out in this book is like it's it's a another super important part of or, or like representation of black religion in America. But it's the version where we have the same sort of like Pentecostal uh, ethos and practice and and all this. But we have it like several you know, we have it like a decade and a half later in the 30s. Mm-hmm. And it's like now we've got this church that barely anybody showing up at like the thing is like oh you think anybody's coming tonight type deal and also like then the interaction with uh, you know any white people in the novel is 
truly like they're raping, stabbing, mm-hmm. mutilating, and doing violence to black people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so thinking about those, thinking about that revival and then this book together are just, it's like a real, it'll really give you galaxy brain. (laughs) (laughs) But it just tells us, I think, so much about family and religion and race in uh, modern America. And I am done my dork hour, but um, (laughs) just like to conclude by saying that, um, Anybody who doesn't understand why I like to read the journals of belt buckle hat people uh, because (laughs) conversion narratives are boring. I give you the double bird and say, go read this because it's a cool it's a cool genre made impossibly cooler by Baldwin. So in conclusion, just ask yourself what Jesus would do. <laughs> Turn off this godless podcast. <laughs> Go read James Baldwin. <laughs> no. I don't disagree. No, 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 no. <laughs> and, and I would just—I mean, absolutely, yeah. We're like the um, I, like one thing so interesting for me about this book is that the, the way that like evangelicalism gets like in the kind of popular press, you know what I mean? Like gets conflated with white evangelicalism and reactionary mm-hmm. politics. Like there's this whole other extremely important and very big strain, you know, the, the, the black church that I, you know, it's like, Oh, like this novel, I think just really speaks to that in a way that is like so absent from the way in popular discourse, this, this stuff often gets talked about. And skeptical about it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Which yeah. is really, I think, like a great thing about this. Yeah, definitely. Skeptical about it and also, but just also just like obsessed with it. And Oh, for and, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it's cool. It's so cool. So this is, this is like one of those novels that holds an important place for me. Like I read a lot of James Baldwin in college and then I wrote my grad school Writing sample on the first two stories from Going to Meet the Man, which you would think would ruin it, but <laughs> it didn't. And those are about the same characters as this novel. I think Baldwin is like one of those writers who can be difficult to categorize. Although I think um, one of the things about him is that like the popular culture, popular the culture at large, works really hard to make him like the avatar of Black American writing, like. Tony Morrison is sort of the same. He's really held up as a singular figure, which I think is a little weird. But honestly, like one of the reasons I wanted to read this is just to hear what Katie thinks, because I want to know about <laughs> Pentecostalism. <laughs> it's cool. And I it's just like a it's just something I don't know very much about, but I know about other things with this book. And I like so I think about a lot about like the black literary debates in the mid 20th century, which are really important to like Richard Wright and Zora Neale Hurston yelling at each other and like Baldwin yelling at Wright and Saunders Redding being mad at everybody. And then there are lots of people writing in small journals like Partisan Review, um, which at some point on this show we'll talk about because it moved from being like a John Reed funded (laughs) magazine (laughs) to sort of social democratic in the early 50s. And also received funds from the cia which oh cool dope yeah Yeah, nice (laughs) the cia did a lot of like cultural work in the early 50s which is uh, like crazy yeah not not at all nefarious at all not even remotely (laughs) nefarious uh great patrons of the arts yeah Yeah. And, and one day we'll do like four episodes on why 
that is weird, but later. So this is like another, this is one of those moments where literary cultures are trying to account for leftism in some weird ways. So like nobody wants to call herself a communist because of the Malatov-Riventrop pact. Because I mean- because Stalin equals communism, of, right? Because Stalin equals communism, right? Yeah, which is not, like wrong. Not like con- not like communism has you know a seventy year at least history before Stalin or anything like that, right? But I also understand why people would like edge back from the word, even if they're yeah, not edging no, back sure. from like the the the, the politics. Yeah. The politics, yeah. although some dickheads do actually like edge back from the politics. Like that's definitely a thing too. Yeah, yeah. Not everybody gets to be as awesome as Paul Robeson. very sad but true uh so despite that like a lot of people are still committed to racial and economic justice again like i can talk about partisan review for 45 hours but like we're here to talk about baldwin this book is good as hell so this is one of those books where i feel like all of us could go into in our own obsessive direction so Mm -hmm. gonna try and keep it gonna try and keep it to the book (laughs) definitely um yeah no uh, so like yeah as with so much 20th century stuff that the podcast has made me read uh or i don't want to say made like it let me read um invited suggested me me to read yeah um i I hadn't read uh this and 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 i really wanted to and uh yeah uh baldwin is an amazing writer uh thank you appreciate the congrats i know and no one has ever hot hot, hot take right there (laughs) very hot yeah yeah no it it, like with, uh, I agree totally with both of you guys. I'm, I'm so glad uh, I did read this. I finished it about a week ago, and I think I, I've been thinking about it pretty much nonstop. Um, I just have a ton of questions and disorganized thoughts, which I think is a good indication of, of just how good of a novel it is. And and yeah, I, I, I one reason, again, I, I agree with Megan, I want to read this with Katie, because I, I tend not to be that into religious themes. Not that I don't think they're important. I just, they, they're not what I usually focus on in the novel. Um, but I did really think the novel's relationship to Pentecostalism is 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 compelling, really compelling, because it seems so conflicted. Like I mean, like skeptical and, if not reverential, uh, deeply sort of appreciative of at the same time. Um, and I would say like in in right like in, it's, yes, it's, there's yeah. no version of this that doesn't that it's not like profoundly embedded. Yeah, th- mm-hmm. I, that I think that's probably a better way to put it. Um, yeah, because it is. It's like and it it's it, religion Pentecostalism is experienced as this. It's like simultaneously ominous and threatening. Um, you know, it, within the black community, um, but also you know like something. It's a source of like joy or at least of belonging or community. Community. Like and and always, I think all of those things at the same time. So I, I'm really into talking through that. Um, and and there's just a ton of stuff here, right? I mean, sexuality, desire, paternity, race. We could go on. Um, and uh, it was so one thing that I'm interested in, and less on the religious aspect, I guess, is how Baldwin discusses racialized spaces, um, mm-hmm. like New York and, and Harlem specifically. Just to me, at least, reads as a very different uh, place and experienced differently by people of the protagonist generation than the Jim. Crow South, where uh, the parents grew up, um, you know, still very much part of racist structures and, and hierarchies of white supremacism, but that manifest in different ways and in ways then that end up causing these sort of generational barriers or disconnects. Um, mm-hmm. So again, I don't have a ton of fully formed thoughts, but I there's just a, a, a lot that I would love to talk through with you guys today. Okay, so today we are going to be talking about religion. We are going to be talking about the structure of the family. We're going to be talking about 
the way that this book constitutes race and sexuality. Okay, so here is the summary. I hope it doesn't go too long. So Go Tell It on the Mountain is written in three parts, sort of. Like the second chapter is broken into three. And it moves back and forth between the present moment, which is 1935, and the early 20th century. In it, the teenage protagonist, John Grimes, works through his own relationship to the church, sexuality, spirituality, which is like this loaded term for both everything in the book, and these fraught relationships within his own family. Um, and it takes place in Harlem. Mm-hmm. So in the first chapter, John wakes up on the morning of his 14th birthday. Um, most of his family doesn't remember, but his mother does, and she gives him a little bit of money to sort of roam about town. Um, he goes to the movies where he sees this great movie about like um, this white woman floozy, but he very much like relates to her, which is <laughs> great. Um, he sits on his favorite hill in Central Park. Uh, he walks around for a bit on Fifth Avenue. Um, this is one of the scenes where we sort of we witness like this group of white people and then that is a jumping off point for the book to think about some of its paradoxes so like john's white teachers have been kind to him but he's also very wary we learn that john's father thinks white people are just without exception wicked and violent which um i'm not going to say without exception but (laughs) the structure (laughs) of white supremacy is like violent yeah he gets home there's this sort of scene of lots of variables in his apartment. So John's brother Roy has been stabbed in the face by a group of white boys. His father, his aunt Florence, who's his father's sister, and his mother are arguing about this the sort of circumstances in their family. Um, John's father Gabriel, his aunt Florence are at odds about Roy's hard-headedness. Um, Florence says that Roy and Gabriel are just alike. Again, this is going to come up again. Um, John's mother, Elizabeth, tells Gabriel that she can't stop Roy from running the streets. He slaps Elizabeth. Roy sticks up for her. And then Gabriel beats Roy. So there, I know that's like a ton of characters, but that's how it's <laughs> written. Like it, mm, yeah. it like puts mm. all these people in a room together and then like gives you a little bit of what's going to – of what these dynamics do. Yeah, and and if I could, it's to the to get the uh, what you just described kind of gets to sort of some of the 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 racial dynamics of it. I, I I mean, I do think like one thing that I thought the novel did want to remind us about a bit was that you know Gabriel is from the deep south. Like, I mean, he's mm-hmm. a, an experienced Jim Crow lynch mobs directly, whereas like John is living in Harlem, surrounded by hundreds. It's you know a very black community in the north, and and like yeah, I mean like we definitely get like race uh, racial structures and racist structures front and center and the you know the descriptions of the dilapidated apartment and kind of poverty and stuff like that but it's just like it, when you when you talked about how his dad like yes that that white people are wicked and violent like i mean for him it's it's like a much I, I don't know. I like, I'm trying to story the right word. Like it's, it's a much more kind of visceral or like upfront sort of like, um, uh, just kind of felt hostility than it is with, um, the kids. John in particular, I would say. Yeah. John, yeah. Like yeah, has right, a much yeah. more mixed relationship to this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So in the next scene, John is sweeping out his father's storefront church when this character, Brother Elisha, comes in 
we know that John has a crush on him, but it's not stated in that way. But there's this talk between them where Elisha talks about the beautiful girls at his school. Um, this is one of the sort of early conversations about sexuality where it's like rooted through something different than what they're actually talking about. And then they get into this like wrestling, this playful wrestling match. And then the sort of members of their church begin to come in, including his aunt Florence, who, quote, had never entered this church before. So we know that this is like, this day is significant in some way. Okay, so the second part is called the prayers of the saints. Um, And we hear the backstories of Gabriel, Elizabeth, and Florence. His aunt Florence is the first, and she begins in the church where John has left off, but then she gets to her own upbringing with her brother Gabriel and their mother. So in the first scene, she narrates this part where she learns that a group of white men has raped their neighbor, Deborah. Deborah's father then goes to one of the white man men's homes to, and he like kicks his ass. And then that evening, there's this, it, we know that the white men are coming. And so they hear the hoofbeats of the men's horses. See, it comes to that they're out to like terrify the town, but they don't commit any physical violence. And I think one of the things that it's showing here is like if the threat, if that threat is always present, that's still like the terroristic mm-hmm. structure. Absolutely. And am I correct in remembering that Gabriel and Florence's mom was born in slavery as well? She was. And there's this great moment in that part where uh, they're the home that she's works for is like quote liberated by the north mm-hmm. and she like puts her stuff in a wrap that she puts on her head and she just like walks out the door right mm-hmm. yep yep so yes and she had been a field hand which is significant in the sort of like structure of slave economies but it's not like i didn't put it in the summary because <laughs> it's one of yeah. like a million important details <laughs> yeah yeah sure but 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 yeah and i, and I just did like sl- you know jim crow like lynch mobs and slavery are like yes. directly present in like gabriel and florence's uh like immediate family past. absolutely mm-hmm. and then we sort of learn about that family uh their mother is called Bathsheba, which i think is like wonderful we learn that she is much more invested in gabriel than in florence and we see florence is sort of fury at gabriel who's like drinks too much and is generally awful and a total dick so even though we know that he isn't really able to take care of their aging mother florence still like leaves their house for new york because she can't take it anymore Mm -hmm. um you know and like fuck gabriel really so she says they they're like you'll be back and she's like i'm never coming back and he says Mm. you you come crying back soon enough so fuck him yeah (laughs) and she they don't see each other for 30 years right Right. yeah and she doesn't return it's it's he who comes north yeah yeah Yeah. (sighs) i love her but yeah she's she's the best character in the book i think i mean john John is the best but like she's yeah 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 i mean he's our proxy so that's a little like different but (laughs) yeah um so florence marries this guy frank and she says quote it had been from the first her great mistake to meet him to marry him to love him as so as she so bitterly had and um so he dies in france during the war but not before she recalls in this chapter having this discussion with him about hearing from a letter that her brother got a 
quote, got a bastard living right there in the same town that he's afraid to call his own. Um, this is like a major plot point that is both uh, narrated by Gabriel, but also like gets picked up all the time by second secondary characters. That's This is another moment where she reflects on Gabriel, who we all know is this hopeless hypocrite. Um, and actually, this is like a moment, if we had tons of time, we would think about more, but like Baldwin often is really invested in like women's anger or even like bitterness, like holding a grudge and not in a way that's judgmental. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like he's, it's a really interesting gesture that he makes that like women's anger is not, um, it's not just that it doesn't come from nowhere, but that it's not actually like bad. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, no, I mean, Florence, we're, we're very sympathetic to why Florence is quote unquote better. Um, And, and in a way, I mean, not that like Gabriel doesn't also have a lot of reason to be angry at the world, but it's just like it, the way his anger manifests is like so sort of like uh, oppressive to like members of his family. You know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. and he's the sort of the subject of the second of the prayers of the saints. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's close. It's third person close. So it's like, he doesn't say, but, uh. and so he says that like, even when he was young, he quote, hated his sins even as he ran towards sin, even as he sinned. I'm not sure we are intended to believe it. <laughs> we just know that this is something he says when he's a preacher, right? Uh, so he's like, oh, I I didn't do it. I did it with like some, it, not like awareness, but like as though I couldn't help it. The devil mm-hmm. made me do it. Yeah, yeah. And like, okay, sure, dude. So we learn that Gabriel does indeed father a child out of lead wedlock with this woman that he works with her name is esther she again in this moment of like probably bitterness that i think is like great she dies she names the son royal which we know is the name he wanted to give to his first son and he royal is eventually killed in a knife fight in chicago um and if you're seeing all these like many parallels that's you're right too mm-hmm. And then Gabriel, by this time, is married to Deborah, who is their their neighbor, and he's become saved and become a preacher, and he confesses this this sin to her, although she's probably known for a long time. And so, of course, we're like dealing with paternity and inheritance. There's the sons, Roy and Royal, and then John, who is not Gabriel's biological son, although we learn about this later, the potential inheritance of sinfulness which is like we gotta know i have to i have to wonder like does the book care about this or is it like Mm. we know that gabriel is like rigid judgmental patriarchal in his action as well as his intention and so it's like who thinks what is not always clear in this book yeah no Mm. it's not and and it is right i mean so it is like there with the knife fight earlier i mean we don't we don't we don't learn that much about Roy, the, the like the living mm-hmm. biological son, other than okay, maybe he's a little bit of a hothead. He got in this knife fight, which like his mom is very insistent that he kind of like went out, like sort of look. He basically like looking to get into a fight. Right. So it's like so we see some parallels with Gabriel there, but like like so much of it uh, is like filtered through Gabriel's like sort of obsession about like what inheritance means and like what his own you know yeah. like uh, patrimony you know patrimony means. So. Yeah, it, it is hard to figure out, like, what then what are we, the readers, supposed to think about that? Oh, totally. Well, and we know that he's, like, a 
piece of shit to all the women in his life who yeah. all, all respond totally differently to that. Yes. Yeah. Which is also really interesting to me. So Elizabeth, who is um, John's mother, gets the third of these prayers of the saints. So as a child, Elizabeth is sent to live with her aunt after her mother's death. Um, she's forced to leave her father, who she adores, while she's living in Maryland as a, I think she's like 19. She meets a man called Richard. He's clerking at a grocery store. Um, and she eventually leaves the South for New York with him. Um, Richard, and this comes as no surprise, is reflected in John in a lot of ways. So like he takes Elizabeth to museums. He generally is quite a bit of an autodidact. There's this way that he considers that like a fuck you to white people, mm. which is really interesting. He's eventually arrested for taking part in a robbery, which she didn't participate in. And she comes to visit him in jail in the tombs. Of course, this is like the, you know, disgusting structure. And he's like beaten up in jail and generally treated by shit, treated like shit by the legal system. Cause like police are disgusting in general. Word. <laughs> yep big big a cab energy over here yeah um but he actually is released like the witnesses say that he wasn't there which he wasn't and he returns to elizabeth where we witness him in his room with her and uh it goes quote and there she had never all her life long to forget it he threw himself face downward on his bed and wept end quote and then Elizabeth, who knows by now that she is pregnant, decides not to tell him about that. And he kills himself the next day. Yeah. It, it, I think it's important also, like, the way that he does it. He um, he cuts his wrists. Cuts his wrists, yeah. And and so he's found, and they the, they talk about the blood. There's He's yeah. covered in blood, which is like the mirror image of the washing in the blood of Christ. This is like the opposite inverse that thing right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and this is one of those books that like really does it's it really there's a way that you can do symbols without like uh it i, I don't mean that it's not clunky it's heavy that's not the same as clunky mm -hmm. right yeah right at least for me yeah yeah yeah, no, I, I yes, it right. It, it's it, yeah. No, and I mean cuz I and I and the, uh could be definitely just me being a stupid reader, but until you just said that Katie, I didn't it actually didn't register to me the the like the biblical significance kind of of that. I think there's so much in this book that you can't catch every single one. Right. And I, but that to me is like symbolism that's being presented in kind of a compelling way. Like you actually have, you have to pay close attention. You have to like, rather than like this big giant symbol that's just like bashing you in the face, you know? Right. Yeah. It, it's not, it, it isn't overdone. And also like, yeah, I, if that wasn't top of mind, I don't know that I would have like gone there immediately. You know, like mm -hmm. it's not, mm -hmm. it's not like it's so there. But right. it is it it is it, there like it for is, sure, but it's yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just that it's really heavy. He just doesn't then tell you what to do with it. Like I think it's yeah. really blunt, but it's not. I don't know. It's not like then he does all this like, and you should interpret this as this thing. Well, and he, so he doesn't. He doesn't do the Hemingway thing where he's like, "Here's a big dumbass symbol. You want to think about it." And but he <laughs> right. also doesn't do the Belleville thing where it's like, "Oh, you see this giant symbol? I'm totally fucking um okay so eventually like elizabeth meets gabriel through florence who she works with and florence 
of course, like despises Gabriel. She always has. Um, he's given up sin for preaching. There's a lot of like great lines in the scene where she meets them. So um, he says they're talking about drinking and Gabriel says to Florence, I do hope he said with a smile that you ain't taken a drinking moonshine sister. It wasn't ever me. She said promptly had that habit. Which is <laughs> <laughs> a pretty nice bird. Yeah. It's a great, there's a, there's a, like a later moment where uh, I think her husband, she's talking shit about Gabriel and her husband says like, isn't he a preacher? And she's like, <laughs> never stopped anybody from doing their dirt. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, she's great. I love her. And that's just an amazing scene. And so while getting to know Gabriel, Elizabeth is saved. This has a, which we see a lot of scenes of salvation in this that all look quite different. This has a lot to do with accounting for sin, which she has, her shame about that is not really apparent until she meets Gabriel. And so, um, at least for me, there's this really important dynamic where shame comes to stand in for grief mm. which mm-hmm. is what she seems to be sort of uh saturated with and then it becomes yeah. about shame which is like a very different thing but they seem to be sort of like close to each other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it also has to do with a lot of the the regrets in the novel like mm-hmm. there elizabeth has i guess almost shame but deep regret about not telling Richard. Richard, that she was pregnant when that simply in the face of what he experienced, like her not doing something in the face of him being brutally beaten and like unjustly arrested. And, and like the fact that she still takes it on herself has a lot mm-hmm. like sort of says a lot about that. What what guilt and shame are, are get taken on and why? Totally. And you're right that it's like they all get sort of braided together with regret and mm-hmm. with shame is not the same as like salvation or I don't know. Does that make sense? Right. So it's like she she she's then sort of like imbued with shame, which is why she needs to get saved. But it's not actually clear to me that Gabriel is like ashamed. Uh, Gabe, sorry, Elizabeth is saved in Gabriel's church and this is like an indirectly narrated moment where mm-hmm. the pastor made the altar call she rose while she heard them praising god walked down the long church aisle down this aisle to this altar before this golden cross to these tears into this battle would the battle end one day when she rose and as they walked once more through the streets he had called her gabriel had called her god's daughter handmaiden to god's minister so this is like it's an incredibly brief moment considering we see Gabriel's baptism and all this detail. And then the whole last chapter is John's salvation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So at the very end of her chapter, we see her see John fall to the floor uh, and in the middle quote, in the center of the crying saints lying astonished beneath the power of the Lord. Uh, okay, so then we get to this last section, uh, and this is the good shit. This is this is where <laughs> this is this is going to be Katie's favorite. Um, it's called <laughs> it's called the threshing floor, and that's important. But uh, so this is this long, free and direct narration of John's come come to Jesus moment in this sense, the literally the, the literal sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and it's an accounting of his interiority of this. So he says, he narrates that he's invaded and possessed by something outside himself. Um, he experiences a yearning tenderness for holy Elisha. Uh, there's also this experience of like anguish and of being pulled down. So there's uh, the, the, the metaphors here are abundant and not simply about being like elevated to the, to greet the face of the Lord or however we want to put that. Like Katie, this is, you'll help us out here, but this is not just like a lovely breakthrough. No. And, um, and also like, it's worth, it's worth noting. <laughs> it's, it's not a lovely breakthrough. It's like the trial by fire shit. And also I think, I don't know if you're going to talk about like the, the sort of sexy undertone overtone. <laughs> yeah. The erotics of it. Those are, th- this is going to make me sound cuckoo, but those are so understated in terms of like what is available in the genre that it's incredible. Like you mean in this book it's understated. Yes. Compared to like salvation narratives as a genre. Like old school conversion narratives are way more like ra- like about being ravished, you know, like okay. it's like way more of that. This is like very this is tasteful as hell. Mm-hmm. I mean and it's all I think part of what makes it tasteful is that he's like he's not um, um, it's like an emotive experience. It's like not quite. It's like embodied, but not in the way that like some saintly conversions are, right? Yeah, this is what's super interesting about it is also that like b- the where we get it from, we we get the psychology. He doesn't even know what his body's been up to, right? Totally, right. It's this like possessed, but it's also possessed by something, right? So it's like not clear that it's just mm-hmm. about God. Right. And and I, I just want to say we don't get the like it's not understated because it's it's uh, like Baldwin or the novel is afraid of ad- addressing like the kind of homosexual desire aspect oh, right and not at all like that yeah I mean it's not like because I could see like oh like oh nineteen fifty two you think maybe well because that that has to be subtext like no like Baldwin's pretty explicit about that stuff mm-hmm. so sure yeah 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 for it, sure so like so the understatedness like I think it must be coming for it it it, ha- it would have a different sort of like conceptual uh, reason than than. Just just that it doesn't want to like take that head on. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting because he does sort of like mentally and in his like line of vision cling to Elisha really strongly, but it's just not, it's just, that's the figure that he's clinging to and not body of Jesus as his, as his like, his, his love. Right. Yeah. There's that. I think that's like a huge part of it. Sexuality from a 14 year old toward an object of desire uh, is going to be is going to necessarily look a lot different than like uh, I just I can't think of anything else to say but fuck me Jesus and that's not yeah, what right. I want no, that's, yeah. that seems no. right though no I mean some of them get yeah like a, a lot of them get that way I don't think yeah. it's this one but I think that there's a lot of like fuck me Jesus as, as no, a thing about yeah. conversions yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. no but that but that yeah that's but that i think that that really makes sense to me because it's like in addition besides for the religious aspect like john is also coming to terms at an early moment with his own sexuality right so this is all yeah. kind of like inchoate and coming into being rather than like you know from from like an adult or like or sort of more fully psychologically developed kind of perspective right although he is like psychologically 
complicated. Yeah, I think. I, that, that's probably wrong. That's a that's probably a wrong way of saying it. it's more more like that. It, 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 it like has la- like has fewer years of experience of yeah, of like yeah, the yeah. body and desire or something like that. Yeah. Well, and we the degree to which it's it's like a completed salvation. I think is really complicated. I think mm-hmm. it would be far too blunt to say that this is just a coming out or coming yes. up. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. But that parallel is not something we should ignore. Like it's not it's not a direct parallel, but it's something that's that's woven in there. Mm-hmm. And then in the last scene where the family is walking home from this uh from John's conversion, Florence confronts Gabriel with a letter the letter she got from Deborah like 30 years before. Uh she had told her about royal the son and she threatens to give the letter to elizabeth but she doesn't although uh when florence splits off from this group she tells gabriel quote deborah was cut down but she left word she weren't an enemy of nobody and she didn't see nothing but evil when i go brother you better tremble because i ain't gonna go down in silence uh and that's fucking great <laughs> yeah she that's why i say she's the best. i mean john is also great but she's kind of the best it's yeah. an amazing moment. Yeah. She has a lot of lines. She has the best lines. No yes. doubt about that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There, it, the the one where she says, like, basically she says uh, to Gabriel, like, if you fucking hit me, then I'll be the last person you ever hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So Elisha and John are walking together and he has his arm around him, which is very sweet. And then John... Uh, is sort of asking me all those questions about his salvation. He says it's uphill all the way. In their last moment, he tells Elisha, quote, no matter what happens to me, where I go, what folks say about me, no matter what anybody says, you remember, please remember, I was saved. I was there. And then Elisha kisses him on the forehead. He says this is a holy kiss. Um, and this is the sort of lovely, t- like, uh, tension, I think, of mm-hmm. this book. Yeah. Okay. So, um, context-wise, Baldwin grew up in Harlem. He lived in New York, Paris, and uh, Saint Paul de Vence in the south of France. He wrote forty-five million things, like essays, poetry, short fiction, novels, reviews. He wrote this book with Richard Avedon. It's like commentary on photographs. He wrote so much stuff. And I think the biographical stuff on him is pretty well known, like to a general audience. He was a child preacher in his stepfather's Pentecostal church in Harlem, like the character here, mm-hmm. um, between 14 and 17. He lived in Greenwich Village in his teens and early 20s before emigrating to France at 24. He wrote in both places. And then he spent a lot of time in the U.S. as an adult involved with organizing around civil rights and other black liberation movements. Um, and then he died in 1987. Another well-known thing about Baldwin is that he was out before out was like a word. Like, mm, yeah. Uh, so interesting in that way. So really, like, I just want to, we could talk about him all day. We could talk about anything. But like, I'm more interested in his works that speak to his political point of view, because like, that's what the show was sort of shows about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, both in the sort of content and also like the style of the works. Um, so 
I said this before, but like everybody wants James Baldwin right now, like liberals in particular, which all right, fine. But um, <laughs> I think a lot of that has to do with his the perception that his works are speaking about something general in the black American experience. He writes about he does write about, quote, you know, the black American experience as a mm. as a larger concept. But I just think it's unfair to uh, read him and assume that he's like doing this generality that we can then yeah. take as like uh, universalizing. Right. Right. Uh, his politics are just not simple. Yeah. And there are a bunch of reasons for that. We'll, we'll talk about that today. But like, I think what is it's noteworthy that I think he's much more invested in a new left politics than an old left politics. It's one of the things that sets him in this historical moment that is it's just different than mm-hmm. when we talk about the sort of like the 30s or the 70s. Right, right. No, I was just going to ask, like, so how, I mean, <laughs> in like a couple sentences, how would you characterize the main ideological distinctions between the new left and the old left because i mean the i mean the way i always sort of tend to shorthand those is like the old left is the kind of like socialist and communist sort of like depression era and earlier very heavily into like kind of labor politics and whereas like the new left kind of move i mean it's like it's it's an it's an anti-war movement um i mean it, it has a lot of kind of liberatory uh uh directions be it civil rights be it uh feminism i mean is that is that pretty much it is that the or like I mean, I think that there's more in the new left that's actually left than we remember. Right. So, like, uh, in the 70s, there's this, like, lots of socialist feminism. I think that what we would call something like militancy or black nationalism are hallmarks of the new left mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not the old left. Those, I think, are important when we talk about Baldwin in particular, that it's, like, the things that he discusses – are you know i'll talk about this in a minute but he has this open letter to angela davis so it's not like yeah uh, so it's not just just exclusively about like an identity based conception well yeah and i mean i guess that yeah right and and i feel because i feel like that's like what how liberals want to understand the new left oh totally like to me it's more i mean it's less like a hard break from the old left than it is like a kind of proliferation of directions of like what a leftist politic might mean yeah and i think it's like really uh re cat it's like the way that its legacy looks is weird like that Mm. um like contemporary feminists are so weird about the second wave and i think that's because it's a straw man right right and so like uh if you hear interviews with like a younger feminist socialist and like a second wave feminist then that second wave feminist is going to say things like oh you know we want to keep for example abortion like safe and legal when fucking second wave feminists invented the expression abortion on demand right right so yeah. the new left is like reimagined as liberalism right that, that, that's kind of what i was able to get at it's like it, to resist the 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 sort of narrative that like de-radicalizes the new the new left and it's like only parts of the new left yeah right right yeah you know it's not like some of the new left is really like dopey liberalism sure sure 
Uh, also, like, yeah, sorry. You you can't. I, I can't just do the the Mark's angles reader. You know, like you, totally. you can't just. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't it doesn't work? It doesn't work. No. So like, to me, it's like the the new left stuff is like okay. So if we want to talk about like workers and labor power, we'll act. How do you not talk about expanding the category? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and no, again, absolutely. like yeah. I think the left, the socialist feminists do such a are like the one of the major figures that I use and like Angela Davis is one of them. And the Combahee collective is the black lesbian socialist collective that invents so many of the terms that we use. Like, um, is they, yeah, they invent identity politics, which is not mm. the term that we, that's, it's not used in that way now. Right. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. meant to use like a common liberation. Right. That's what it's trying to do. Right. But I also think that, like, sorry, my sorry to my fellow comrades, like the people that I care about. But I think that, like, the old left is de rigueur right now among socialists, and the new left is like falsely vilified. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. No, no, but but I think it, yeah, but exactly like what you're saying. I think that's because like there's this impulse to like read it as like liberalism when that's yeah. not that. Well, that describes like a, a, a piece of it, but not like. It's also that like boomers are recategorizing their own movement <laughs> as liberal. Okay. So sorry, we could have just done like I just said, okay, boomer, okay, boomer. And, and it's best yeah. with all of it. <laughs> Except that like it's fucked up because they did all this cool stuff fucking no, know, fifty fucking years ago. Ant- Angela Davis is a boomer, you know. Like, Ooh, uh, we're gonna get so. bounced off the internet forever for saying that shit. Yeah. So. Okay, so that's my that's my. I'm hanging my hanging my flag out for that. But like uh, Baldwin wrote this letter to Angela Davis uh, that begins, we know that we, the blacks, and not only we, the blacks, have been and are the victims of a system whose only fuel is greed, whose only God is profit. And so, <laughs> so I think it goes without saying that that is like not a left, like, excuse me, not a liberal thing to say. No, no, <laughs> not, not at all. No. And that, but there is this thing where, like, that's perhaps more complicated when he talks about like a revolution in black consciousness, which I think has been wrongly talked about as liberal. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, so that's another one of the s- things he talks about in this letter to Davis. But he also says, like, some of us, white and black, know how great a price has already been paid to bring into existence a new consciousness, a new people, an unprecedented nation. If we know and do nothing, we are worse than the murderers hired in our name. And that is talking about um, – it's also talking about uh, imperialism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's one of my Baldwin things. And uh, he says in an interview in 1972 that like somebody asked him, do you think socialism will ever come to the U.S.? And he says, I don't see any other way for it to go. <laughs> Uh, a socialism achieved in America, if and when we do, will be a socialism very unlike the Chinese socialism or the Cuban socialism. So I know people are going to probably come after me for being like, oh, there's like a weird national specificity there. But he's not saying no socialism for fuck's sake. No, 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 no. Although he and then he says, like, I had my flirtation with the Communist Party, except that he says they were down there trying to save me, meaning 
as a black person. Mm. The battle for the black man's identity has been taken out of white people's hands. That's what's happened. And I think that a lot of people like hang a lot of their thinking about Baldwin on the word identity. Yeah, And I think that that's uh, maybe there's some truth to that. Like maybe it's not gone, but it's not, it just doesn't capture the entirety of his like difficult politics. Right. Right. And so like, that's a reason that liberals hurt Baldwin because first of all, they don't know enough, but also <laughs> like hanging a lot on the word identity, but He's also like, okay, and this is more complicated. He has some aesthetic conservatism. Mm. And there's this super, super famous essay called Everybody's Protest Novel. And he's talking about Richard Wright, but also about other left realist socialist writers. And and he's putting he's putting Wright with Harriet Beecher Stowe, which I think is like <laughs> insane. <laughs> oh, so man, I would not, I would not have wanted to be there with Richard Wright. Well, I was maybe Wright was dead when this. Uh, this he came was out. first of all not dead. They oh, they were oh, still boy. friends after that. <laughs> wow. What? Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's well, uh, it's crazy. That's friendship. I don't. Yeah. I know. I know a lot about Richard Wright, and uh, we all know that I'm that I like love him, but yeah. um, he's his friendships with people were fucking strange. Yeah. Yeah. He was, I don't think, an easy person to like, unlike James Baldwin, who all of the sort of like stories about him say that he was like a lovely human being. <laughs> well, that, I, apparently he's so lovely that you can, he can compare you to Harry. Like yeah. <laughs> he can take a full shit on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, in print. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is like, he also, uh, he and Brando lived. He would. They were like roommates for like two months, and I don't know if they are kissy kissy roommates. But if somebody said that, I wouldn't be mad. Yeah, yeah. I'm not claiming that. I'm just saying hmm. it's in the realm of possibility. Everyone's dead, so you know <laughs> they're, all, they're all dead. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And we don't know that. I've I've lived with people I wasn't kissy kissy friends with. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so back to Richard Wright. He says, "Oh, this is so mean." Bigger is Uncle Tom's descendant, flesh of his flesh. Uh, these two authors are locked together in a deadly, timeless battle, the one uttering merciless exhortations and the other shouting curses. The failure of the protest novel lies in its rejection of life, the human being, the denial of his beauty, dread, power, in its insistence that it is his categorization along which is real and which cannot be transcended. Wow. Uh, very mad at determinism there which is um, now we're we're low-key <laughs> mad at james baldwin <laughs> i i i this is like a thing i'd like to return to just in oh, life totally this is like an interesting i mean yeah well this is like weirdly new criticism of him this is a novel this is like about the novel and form as like these as these things that shouldn't be like clunky and i think honestly like that's a part of the things that liberals like is that they don't want books to be like badly written even if they're smart interesting i don't know i mean i think it's part of his canonization is that like his books are so beautifully written right Uh, i don't know i don't want that to be like a bad thing no it's not it's not but but yeah well right i mean they're they are like the you know a privileged aesthetic form even when i mean something we talked Mm -hmm. about with native side a lot like it's not like i mean right it was an amazing writer 
he wrote a novel yeah, that of. was that painful. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I've re- like I, I've read really amazing writing by Wright. When he wrote Native Son, he's like, yeah, but I'm making this a bad novel to read because I have a yeah. real fucking purpose in doing so. You know, he's like, also like the king yeah. of the essay. Actually, like Baldwin might be the king of the essay, but yeah. both of them. This is a class, Tristan, that we should teach, which is the novel and the essay. Yeah, no, that would be great. And uh, you know, the 18th century certainly would be would be one uh, one 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 period to get into with that. Oh, black um, critics at the mid 20th century. That's like a yeah. huge, huge thing. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, definitely. No, that would be that would be amazing. Um, so, like, could I? I oh, I'm sorry. Wait, or do we have do we have more? Or are we? Uh, the only I, thing that I was going to say is that, like, as Katie says, like, we have to get back to this in life because I think that one of the things we should just know we ha- I don't think we've like talked about this very much on the show, but like, there's a lot of technical stuff here. Mm-hmm, yeah. Right. Like the novel is a technique. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the, especially this last scene is very technical in a good way. <laughs> like it's yeah. doing the things yeah. that like the novel after say modernism mm-hmm. is supposed to do. And, and that's maybe it's kind of shady that he's like Richard Wright is bad writer and, and has bad politics, like whatever. So it's like good, but again, in a way that like meets a certain kind of criteria. Yeah, no, definitely. So sorry, um, Tristan, go ahead. I know you were going to ask something. Yeah, no. So, okay. So, right. And, and well, and actually, I mean, I think the, what, like all the context you gave us, like gives us a lot of different ways of thinking about that. But like, I wanted to go back to like your, so you, you know, you, you encourage us to not think that Baldwin is doing this very sort of liberal version of like a kind of purely sort of identity sort of concern and things like that. Um, and that, you know, like material conditions and, and, and it is something that he's really attuned to. And, uh, but like, and, and, and I, like, I definitely see that in the book right like i mean there there is like you do get like a sense of hierarchies and structures like you know that's i think that's one reason why he takes us back to like the the just the descriptions of the apartment and like what you know that the the crowdedness of it and things like that Mm -hmm. but i guess like my and and so my question is like what does religion do like is it is it a separate thing i mean that sounds like and i think it is like dumb to think of like religion is not like i mean what's absolutely a structure but like that it's a different set of concerns from like material conditions i mean like we definitely get like family structure through religion and that but i just like because it did seem like there's a way to read those passages as being so kind of like deeply personal and individualized in a way that is like set aside from the structures but i don't really think that that is the right or the only way maybe to read what's happening in that very important (laughs) aspect of the book i mean katie take us away i just like want to know more about honestly i just want to know more about religion in this i want you know, if we have time, I want to know why all of the references are Old Testament, basically. Okay, so I think no, that sorry, the Tristan's thing- question was about like structure and, and individuals. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. I mean, really, I honestly, we- I all I want is like, what the fuck is happening with the religious aspect of the novel? That's <laughs> all things. Yeah. <laughs> I I think I think we can do it. I think we can do it right here today. Awesome. We can do all of those things. I think it's a really good point that we have this deeply personal stuff going on and then we have the religion stuff which is like it is actually one size fits all and in a very important way you know mm-hmm. um which is like that 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 jesus is the 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 way the truth and the life etc cetera, etc cetera. you've heard it all but there's this other thing too where like we have the the idea of conversion basically like this is 
this repeats in the Bible a lot. The old man dies and is crucified with Christ. And when, um, and in, in salvation, you are a new man. Mm-hmm. And I think that all of the identification and all this, like pulling from all these Bible sources and stuff, is like it's identifying suffering with, um, with holy meaning and um, placing it in this like long, long history and tradition. But the the specific collection of references is what makes any one believer's story unique or or one any one account unique so like i'll pull th- there's the there's a great paragraph at the end where he basically name checks like a million yeah. different bible things like they wandered in the valley forever and they smote the rock forever and the water sprang perpetually in the perpetual desert they cried unto the lord forever and lifted up their eyes forever they were cast down forever and he lifted them up forever uh the fire could not hurt them yes the lion's jaws were stopped the serpent was not their master the grave was not their resting place the earth was not their home job bore witness abraham was their father moses had selected them to suffer with them rather than glory and sin for a season had gone before them into the fire and their grief had been sung by David and Jeremiah wept for them. Ezekiel had prophesied upon them, these scattered bones slain the fullness of time, the prophet John. Um, and then we get Judas. We have Thomas who doubted him, Peter who trembled at the crowing of cock, Stephen who had been stoned, Paul who had been blind. And they all, then they looked to Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith, running with patience the race he had set before them. They endured the cross and they despised the shame and waited to join him one day in glory at the right hand of the Father. And so the that was a long passage to read, I know. But the point but it of it is from like, Genesis to the end of the Old Testament. It got through the whole thing, like in that paragraph. He did, right? He got from yeah. Abraham to Christ. Yeah. Yes. He he went, who are like actually all. So the thing is, the conversion experience is about being crucified on the cross with Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that like whatever the new man is at the end, uh, whether it's secular or whether it's religious, sort of doesn't matter for this to be a conversion narrative and like to to have a history. Right. And, and also, I mean, so this again, like, is, <laughs> this is, this is starting to feel familiar t- to me, uh, out, out of, well, yeah, like out of the, out of a lot of like 18th century stuff that's derived from the conversion narrative in that, like, um, and, and this isn't at all a claim that like the, the, the novel doesn't take like religious faith seriously. It clearly does, but there's like kind of like a, mul- there's like a, a sort of like bi-directionality of that, right? Like, I mean, yes, there is this sort of like theological outlook of the world, but then like, there's also like, like how the individual, like basically how the individual life relates to that, right? Like so, um, and and like religion as like a sort of uh, exegetical or interpretive structure of making sense of your own life or how to read other people, right? So, I mean, there's plenty in the Bible and in faith that would tell us something about Gabriel's sort of like deeply masculinist sort of like mm-hmm. reckoning with rage and shame, right? There is this whole other body that would deal with like kind of you know Elizabeth's narrative of like kind of motherhood and 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 uh, and 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 salvation or forgiveness and like john's like kind of 
awakening to his own sort of sexuality and desire. Like, you know, like, like there, there's like, there are, uh, there are biblical stories for like all of that. You know what I mean? Um, oh, there's like 10 for some of, you know, like the relationship yes. between the father and the son is this whole, like, it's fucking everywhere. Exactly. And so while yeah. like, religion, like Christianity and specifically this, like Pentecostal version gives the community a sort of common like bond or like outlook or way of dealing with the world. It also like has like just an almost infinite, like amount of like sort of um, interpretive lenses that then apply backwards to an individual life. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's both communal and highly individual at the same time. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's like intimately personal and, completely like all these bible like the, totally transferable to anyone mm-hmm. well not like the the way that it's personal is sure it's about you know the spirit or however you want to put that but it's about the body right like it's a super embodied thing and that's a big part of this last scene is that like he feels his body being invaded yeah and that's like he feels his body being invaded. We don't get a good account of it. It's also this thing too with like the like how strong the Holy Spirit thing is in Pentecostalism too is like and also how you're allowed to express your religious feeling as you're being invaded by uh the spirit. I mean, isn't that what speaking in tongues is? Is that like it's your body doing the work of the spirit? It's that like it's not filtered by your interpretive mind or however. I don't. I don't know. I'm not. I don't know anything about this. You're pro- you're like you're just you're you're prophecy. You're you're giving prophecy in the way that it was done, like um, in the biblical sense. Yeah, <laughs> but not in the way that we usually mean that. It's uh. Like I don't know how much to just do do jazz on Pentecostalism itself because I don't know how 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 helpful it it will wind up being. Mary, but um, we want you to do it. Okay, so like here's the poop on uh, Pentecostalism. It is and isn't exactly what you think it is. Like it is the people who do the snake handling. It is the people who do the speaking in tongues. Um, and it also is the people who do the faith healing stuff. So like if you see a tent revival and like the preacher will ask, um, you know, like people, someone with like cancer to come up, to, to come up and, and um, be healed. That's like, that's all Pentecostal stuff. And, so like that's sort of what they're like what they're known for um they're also sort of so they're like obsessed with this unmediated embodied experience of god and the holy spirit and like it's an expectation and um it's like a way of it's it's a way of demonstrating your spiritual condition and sort of like conveying knowledge. And um, it's like a miraculous event sort of thing. Um, Well, not embodiment I think of as the thing that we've been talking about all along, right? Which is that like that version is there's no, (laughs) this novel would not exist without that very specific version of religion, right? Mm. Yeah, no, it seems it seems like not. 
And um, because that's the like baptism into this is the thing when you say like he's a new man, it's like he's a man. This is like an adult. This is like it's not just that the version of awakening into sexuality is about like growing up over the course of this like several hours of conversion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, so it's like about the rebirth stuff. It's also like the one thing I, I kind of wish I would have thought more about now is how it works for Baldwin as a writer, because the, because Pentecostalism is at, it is like all about the, um, the speaking in tongues thing, the, the Pentecost stuff, like that's, uh, it's from Acts and it's like it's the what the Holy Spirit does is like is give the apostles the ability to speak new languages and they talk about like other times that it, it like harkens back to you know obviously like the story everybody knows the Tower of Babel thing so, so there's a lot about like what the word can do um, mm -hmm. and who can understand you and like who you're legible to and stuff like that and also the thing that's important about Pentecostals is that they for all of like the revivalism, they really believe in this Protestant thing, um, like sola scriptura, scripture alone, so mm -hmm. that you can come to salvation through just the word, like the word, like the the living word. Um, you don't need to have like anybody guide you through it or or lead you through it, which is interesting here because like this book is so much about dads, like yeah, and that yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and no, and I was just going to say that, that like, it, because it, it, and this, this gets to the complexity of, uh, of the history of, I mean, Christianity in the, in the United States generally, but like, because that, that sort of like, and, and that, that like direct, uh, unmediated sort of like experience of God, like, I mean, that, that goes back into like kind of pure, like that, that derives out of like, a, a something that was coming in, you know, like Puritan Christianity, you know, for like 300 years prior. But like, you know, at the one hand, like there is a deeply kind of authoritarian impulse there, right? Like what you, hmm. you just said, like the, the kind of like patriarchy. Uh, the fact that Gabriel is a fucking hard on, like he's an abusive, like misogynist and that, and he is like in some ways the center of the church. But at the same time that like that anyone, there is no, there is no like mediation. It is you and God. Um, and you know, that, 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 that is like so highly individual and like in a way that like resists sort like, like there is an authority, but the authority is God. The authority is not an, a human structure. So it's like, it has an authoritarian impulse, but like right alongside that, it has like a liberationary impulse you know what i mean i, mean, I think that's like that that's yeah. part of the reason this book for me is like this is such a dumb thing to say but it's like characterized by its tensions or its paradoxes yes, right absolutely, so it's like yeah that last scene is totally about like dad and elisha who he's like clearly super attracted to and like receiving the word and then uh you know his mother is always this really interesting presence so it's like there's no we can't ever read it as being like about authority or not about authority or about the word or not about, right? Like it's always all of those things. All the stuff. And something else too that I, I you know, and I, I don't think there's any way we could have a full discussion about this because it's a huge, God, a huge, a huge topic. But it's also like the the religion, the, the church that we see, like with the black church, how it sits in relation to like the kind of structures of white supremacy, because like obviously it it is 
I, I mean, well, like, yeah, like, like so much of like Gabriel's kind of like sort of uh, like religious thinking deals with uh, sort of like violences that he's he's experienced or 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 in some ways subject to, and, but and yet, like, what we see here is like a black community existing like with its very own sort of set of rules in a way that almost like at least like during the conversion moment when it's so sort of like ecstatic and 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 uh it that is, is in a little ways like sealed off from the broader world right like it's like our focus is right there on the church and what's happening there um like i, mean, I don't know i i don't i'm not entirely yeah. sure what i'm saying but it's like yeah, that it, it, it like in some ways it like offers a space carved off from this broader structure of like brutality and authority. Well, there is that moment where yeah, I think that's I think that's really right. I think the moment where it comes up super concretely was Gabriel talks about running into Royal and he says he walks by a couple or like a, you know, a couple white guys or like, you know, a bunch of white guys and they he doesn't know if they're going to let him pass by and they do in part because he's alone and because he's a preacher. Yeah. And mm. but then when he runs into Royal it's like they become two black men and that becomes like then they become imperiled by mm. that group mm-hmm. in particular. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah. So there are ways that it's like it's both it's like a way to understand the suffering and uh violence of white supremacy it's also like a way of actually there are like there are like ways of that it that it lets people be in the world differently like you know being a being a holy person or having that reputation or like look you know um being recognized in that way does afford protection mm-hmm. in certain limited contexts and situations yeah i mean i don't i i don't know i i just feel like the church isn't quite so uh it's i agree with you that it's removed from the word world i just don't think of it as like opposed to white supremacy as much because the people who are in it are not very bright like so <laughs> they're not they're not like people who who are i just don't think of john has no relationship with anyone there of any sort of richness except for elisha because he's because it's like a sexual thing right yeah like, but the incidental protection that it affords you against, like, the violence that might be done to you is sort of, like, to me, different than active opposition. Oh, I see. Well, okay. Although, I mean, certainly historically, th- I mean, throughout, like, going back into, like, the era of slavery, like, the black church as, like, a really important source of activism right and, and and resistance although that i don't like i don't know how much this like this novel really gets into that but i mean that like that's part of that history right like yeah but i think yeah. baldwin is skeptical about that okay that's that's okay i just don't think he's as in i just don't think that's where he like centralizes his politics well i I don't and i and i i don't see it in the novel per se that's all i'm saying right is that like like, oh i i totally agree with you i just don't see it as much in the novel because he's because his conversion is just so fucking weird you know (laughs) like his version of jesus is is like just different than the version that we think everybody else in this church has experienced Mm mm-hmm Right. Well, uh, yeah, and I mean, it's all super. It's all like super deeply personal. I think the the history and tradition of 
Christianity for black people in America is like, oh boy, that's a, we couldn't, we need, we need a full other, like, whole podcast, you know, like, many, it's, that's, many, a, that's many another books. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's many, many yes. books is what that is, you know. Like. A lot, lot of books. <laughs> the one thing I, like, the one thing I'll say is just to sort of what puts the cherry on, like, the whole thing for me with respect to religion is that it's very serious, but also there is something like there's something like very not maybe not playful but also i'll say what i'm gonna say which is like the whole thing about elisha is he was a like well uh oh yeah my dad was um was worth one dad but um i'm actually worth two dads like (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. like that's the whole thing is that like elijah did like you know he did like twice the miracles that elijah did you know he like he got his power transferred to him and and in the transfer exceeded him Mm -hmm. so like it's really kind of neat that that's who he like that's his his object of 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 desire and affection or something is that like this this character who is specifically like basically named um i'm better than my dad (laughs) right yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what we're gonna do with dad, but should we play a game? Yeah, we should. Yeah, that's a good good place to wrap up. Let's play a game. Um, so for the game today, I really I really put myself out for the two of you, and I hope you appreciate it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, <it>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this time it was a special case because I was trying to find out what the what the what the the pentecostals are up to these days um (laughs) you got me are they are they on the 700 club uh well they're they're you know when they're not on the 700 club they're um they're making memes folks they're making Uh, memes nice nice okay i didn't make dank memes out on the computer (laughs) oh they're very much allowed on the computer they're allowed on the computer to make just truly um incredible memes involving um you know jim from the office um (laughs) okay which uh there's one of jim making like jim face that says when your date is going well but then she says her favorite bible verse is god helps those who help themselves jim from the office face um yes it's all about that i also signed up for several (laughs) mailing lists which um we don't need to discuss fully but um Uh, i'm very excited john John krasinski deserves that too i just have to say oh i agree no. <laughs> I hope Fucking these lists yeah, are going yeah. to like uh Katie underscore forty nine underscore Katie, Katie at hotmail.com yeah. so you don't Did, have to look at them. Didn't didn't you want to sign up for Christian Mangle for the podcast? I did. I did. And um and this time I got um I got uh, I received an email from Behold the Lamb Publications. Uh subject oh. line your your book order, The Nature of Sin. Um <laughs> Thank you, sir. I was looking for that all day. It's a free book. Just we don't need to talk about sin. But or we could. Um but what I'd like to do, but it's not all sin and and, and such. Um there's actually a lot of fun to be had, believe it or not. And that fun involves some some card games. Um, <laughs> Are they allowed to play card games? Well, you're allowed to play card games uh, from the Faith Chatter Conversation Deck. Cool. And uh, I'd like to play 
a good good Christian game with the two of you today. All right. So I'm just gonna a good holy game. A good holy game. So I'm just gonna ask you um some questions and uh and we'll just see where you come. They're just supposed to spark conversation. So uh here's here's the first one. Oh god, they're so bad. Um <laughs> help me, Jesus. Uh oh fuck. Oh Lord. Okay. When you get to heaven, what will be the first question that you will ask God? What will be the first question that you ask God when you get to heaven? Um, what's the story with wasps? <laughs> wasps is in wasps is in as in uh, waspy people or is in as in the insects? Because I both of them. Because I the story ha- with white people. Yes. What's the story with white Jerry people? Seinfeld. that's the deal with white people oh man uh why do bad things happen to good people? God damn, I'm such a fucking heathen. I don't know what the hell I want to ask God. <laughs> like, like, I know, I'm a little bit like, wait, who? Oh, was I wrong? Was I, you're here, you're real? What, was I wrong? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, oh, there you go. Um, I don't have a question so much as a comment. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> Yes, that's right. That's right. No, I, I tell you what. I, this is serious. Uh, this will be a long running theme. What like goats? You were joking, right? Like, I mean, that you're <laughs> oh, not serious you with the animal. Like, that was a mistake. It wasn't like that, as big a mistake as pandas. I ask yeah. you. Well, I'm not saying it was a mistake, but it's like you're 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 jerking us off a little bit, right? Like you're, you're like you're not. I think we're we not, can all admit that pandas <laughs> were a mistake, though. <laughs> That well, I that just sit around and eat grass like kind of all day. And oh, that they became they and also fuck. like they can't fuck. They barely. Oh, they have yeah, to be awake yeah. for like twenty four hours a day because bamboo is so low in nourishment. I like this. Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna hit God with all of my like uh, hostility towards the natural world. Yeah, evolutionary errors. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> evolutionary. Yeah, perfect. Oh, oh, if evolution's like not real, what the fuck is up? <laughs> hey, uh, you you can really you can really uh you can really get him in a debate on logic. Um, and that's what I do. That's what I do. Question number two: If you could have a cup of coffee with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, if you could have a cup of coffee with him, mm-hmm. a what would he order? And B, what would you two talk about? He's never heard of coffee. It's a new world plant. Yeah. Well. Well. Okay. So you're okay. So you're taking Jesus Christ through the through the menu at a Starbucks. What do you suggest to him? Oh, what do I suggest? What are those drinks that are like ice cream? What are the um, the frappuccino? Yeah. Get Jesus an ice cream. Oh, that's very nice. That's nice. I, that is nice. I, I, I think JC is a is a black coffee man. Uh, Can you imagine having like black coffee for the first time though? Like that's got to be bitter as hell. And I, I just, love. I drink black coffee. Look, I'm not. I'm not going with the historical Jesus. I'm thinking that he's you know an infinite and transcendent aspect of the Father, right? So he he knows what coffee all is. Right. Like, but, yeah, that's uh, true. And then, <laughs> that's all the time. So he just got to know what coffee is. Yeah, and then I guess I might just like 
like, you know, take him to task for basically all of the disciples and be like, Thomas is the only one that wasn't a fucking idiot, right? Like the one's like, yeah, you guys are selling a fucking narrative here. I, I'm not going to believe that until I actually fucking see it. Like he's he, he's the smart one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was Thomas like? Do you like the picture of you in the painting? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to be photographed having food. That's the one. Go, going back to going back to historical Jesus. Like I got to tell you, JC, uh, a lot of uh, paintings of blonde, blue-eyed you seem very wrong. <laughs> yeah, in general, I'm going to ask him about if he feels that representations are. You know, this is. I'm just doing like uh, my freshman not all of them who are like this doesn't seem realistic so i gotta ask him about the saint matthew passion (laughs) if jesus uh was your uber driver would he match his profile (laughs) (laughs) if you were my christian mingle match Uh, oh you mean my my me mingle match yeah (laughs) (laughs) that was the worst joke you could cut that nope (laughs) me mingle i love it um Oh God, this is a bad one too. I mean, they're all. This is like real. This is comes from real evangelicals. Um, if scientists discover aliens, how would that impact your faith? And there's a little cartoon of an alien. So imagine you are a serious, serious Christian. Yeah. Isn't that I, just that, like, God put them on other planets, like He did the dinosaur bones, like to make us to fuck with us? Oh well, yeah. That it's all. That, well, that it's a it's a satanic kind of ruse. That that is a possibility. I was going to say it's like Christianity ever since Copernicus has had a lot of sort of real crisis moments of like, holy shit, the Earth's not the center of the universe. Wait, like evolutionary biology. <laughs> like, um, I, I, I. It's hard for me to envision uh, a a bigger kind of blow than life, uh, intelligent life on other planets. Well. Are they more uh, are I, they Mormons returned from their true planet <laughs> of many of 40 wives? That's a possibility. The, the but I just I don't see the answer the rejoinder to this to me is just very clear, which is like uh yeah, if they show up, they're obviously also going to believe in Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, this right? is why this is why you're the bell buckle hat whisperer, Katie. Because you know about interplanetary Jesus. Yeah. Space Like, come on. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah. Oh, that's a good – I like that. We could do a Mm. mini-series. Yeah, these questions are just like – Like, what's your idea of what God looks like? Mm. What if God was one of us, just a stranger on the bus? Simpsons. (laughs) Simpsons God. Oh, I was thinking – why – so somebody, like, get into my – Let's do psychoanalysis of why somebody said, what did God look like? And I said, Groucho Marx. In my mind. (laughs) That would be amazing. I was like, well, he's Jewish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If God looks like Groucho Marx, that's enough to get me back into church. Oh, damn. (laughs) Okay. What if he looks like Harpo Marx? (laughs) I'm joining the fucking priesthood. <laughs> Good night. Oh boy. What if he looks like Karl Marx? I, I, I saw you were gonna say what if he looks like Cartman? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm back in the in the actual. 
Well, I'm so glad that we got to know um, Mr. Jesus through somebody looking like Karl Marx. Um, R.I.P. my inbox. R.I.P. your yeah. inbox slash Harpo Marx. Yes. That's too soon? Yes, too, too soon you, for making Harpo Marx's dead joke? <laughs> yeah, yes. It's, I still cry about it regularly. Uh, no, it's, <laughs> it's a, yes. He died to, in 1964. <laughs> to, to all the evangelicals who have listened an hour and a half into a commie lit podcast, <laughs> we're very sorry. <laughs> Whoops. Mistakes have been made on your part. Yeah. Uh, all right. This has been better than dead. You can find Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find me on Twitter at Teslersaurus. You can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Better Ed Pod. And email us at betteredpodcast at gmail.com. But only if you've read these evangelical cards. Ask us another question. See what we're going to say. <laughs> it's going to be a similarly dumb answer as the rest. Um, our intro music is Left Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Ponsack of JB Design and Content. And rate, review, subscribe. We still have stickers and buttons for reviewers and they're cute. So uh, next week we have the first of our two-part episode on Lauren Stern's Tristram Shandy. We are all so pumped. And thanks, comrades. Fly